So is this game, is this a big deal for Waverly today? It is an absolute, it's a shutting down the town type yeah. of game yeah, It's for a Waverly. pretty good turnout. It's, I don't think that there's probably anybody left. All of yeah. the businesses have closed down and we'll let LaCalle's run for the day. Yeah, yeah. Episode 30, 8 is Enough. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a June 6th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas State Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. For our fourth episode in our series dedicated to objects from the museum's current exhibit, Game Faces, Kansans, and Sports. In 2006, Waverly High School dominated eight-man football in Kansas for the second year in a row. Though eight-man football requires less players than traditional football, for the Bulldogs of Waverly, Kansas, there was no shortage of pain or mayhem. Join curator Laura Van Orsdale and I as we examine a uniform from this football dynasty. We'll find out where the concept of eight-man came from and what pushes a school to play this non-traditional style of football. Later, in another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, we'll connect this Emporia editor to the lunar landing. Was White a stowaway on Apollo 11? But first, eight is enough. Good morning, Laura Van Orsdale. How are you doing? I'm great. Today we're going to be discussing a football uniform from the high school in Waverly, Kansas. And at the beginning of the podcast, um, the public, you guys actually heard Penny Fleming. Uh, she's an English teacher at Waverly High School, and she was talking about her football team's biggest game of the year, and that was the Kansas 8-man Division One title game uh, where Waverly played Jetmore. Um, Laura, how did the uh, museum end up with a uniform, a football uniform from Waverly, Kansas? Well, um, we just got the uniform this past year, but actually we've been thinking about acquiring something like that for quite some time. One of the things we really wanted to talk about was how um, in Kansas you're starting to see a lot of smaller communities where the population is declining um, and trying to talk about how, you know, figure out a way to represent that in a museum collection. Well, one way to do that is to look at the schools in Kansas and how they're adjusting to having fewer kids. Mm-hmm. Um, eight-man football isn't unique to Kansas. It's not really even unique to the Plain states, but it is played here a lot and it's a really great way to talk about how schools adjust to having fewer kids. A little over a year ago, we started planning for our current exhibit, which is Game Faces, Kansas and Sports. And as part of that... (laughs) That's right. Come and see it. It's great. Um, But as part of that, we really wanted to talk about eight-man football a little bit more in depth and and how it really brings a community together. Um, Researching that exhibit, we actually contacted a couple schools in the state and shadowed their teams throughout the season. Waverly High School was one of the schools that we followed, and I actually followed them the whole season, was there from the preseason scrimmage to the state championship game. And uh, in talking to their coach, I had asked if we could borrow something for the exhibit, and uh, it ended up he had they had some old uniforms that they were not going to be using anymore, and so they just donated them to us. And that's how this ended up in our collection. And it's kind of cool because it's a pretty complete collection. Like it's right. it's the home 
It's yes. the home uniform. Uh-huh. It's the away uniform right. and the practice uniform. Right, and I think there's like two practice jerseys plus mm-hmm. a complete set of pads and a pair of shoes yes. too, and a helmet. So we he really was very. They were very generous. So where where is Waverly? Waverly is a small town. Where's it at? Right. It's a small town in northeastern Kansas. It's actually about 75 miles southwest of Kansas City, Kansas. Um, it's in Coffee County, and it's a pretty, it's, you know, very typical to a lot of smaller communities in the state. Uh, it's a farming community, but there are a few, a couple of local manufacturers. There's several businesses in town. Um, it's certainly, you know, it's it's actually doing quite well uh, for quite well compared to some towns in Kansas of its size. It's only about 550 people. So not real big. Um, and the other interesting thing about it is that it's um, it's increasingly becoming more of a bedroom community for some of the larger er- communities in the area. It's just off the interstate. Uh, a lot of people that I talked to, um, some of them worked in like Emporia, which is just to the west, or Burlington, or Ottawa, or even uh, one family I talked to, both parents worked in Kansas City. So. Um, so you shadowed this particular team for the whole season. Right. Um, what were some of the events that, that you went to? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny. I actually called the coach. Um, we weren't sure exactly when the season was starting, and I called the principal, not the coach, and talked to him about what we were planning to do for the exhibit and um, what we'd like to do. And he said, oh, great, what are you doing tomorrow night? Wow, that's a quick <laughs> turnaround. Yeah, well, you know, um, it sounded a little forward at first, but it ended up being that they just had a soap scrimmage scheduled for the next night. Mm-hmm. And so he was inviting me to attend that. Um, I did go to that. And I hadn't heard of a soap scrimmage before, but uh, what it was was just a preseason scrimmage where um, the price of admission was a box of laundry detergent or a couple towels um, that they the school would then use, you know, the, the team with the news for the rest of the year. Did you bring soap? Uh, I did. <laughs> I bought a box of Tide. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, the other interesting thing um, about that was that this community, like I said, it's only about 550 people, and they had oh, between 150 and 180 people show up. Uh, well, the common conception of American football uh, usually involves teams of, of 11 guys, mm-hmm. 11 people out. Mm-hmm. But for some schools in Kansas, like you were talking about, that's it's not the case. Um, Right. A lot of these schools play eight-man football. Uh, where did the idea of eight-man football come from, and how is it different than 11-man? Well, the biggest difference is that there's three less players. <laughs> Thanks. I knew that. But, you know. <laughs> um, actually, eight-man isn't the first form of football uh, to use less players than 11. Uh, in the 30s, late 30s, a guy in Nebraska came up with the idea of playing six-man football. Another form of football, the eight, eight-man football game, was starting to develop in the Midwest. Um there's some reports of it's it's a little obscure where when it actually started, but um, late 30s, eight man was being played. I think in Indiana, Illinois, somewhere over there, mm-hmm. and then it kind of gradually spread out from there. Uh, in the Plain states, where it makes a lot of sense to play football with fewer players because you have a, you know huge states with with small population mm-hmm. um, distribution. So by it didn't actually it wasn't actually played in Kansas until 1956. Um, the first team to try it was Wyndham High School. <clears throat> they'd had a horrible year playing six man. I think they'd won like one game that year. Their uh, Wyndham's over is by McPherson, but there was someone at that school who had come from Nebraska, and six or eight man was being played in Nebraska at that time. And so this person suggested that coach, well, why don't you look into eight man and see how you know how that goes? Well, they did some. They did a letter campaign to several coaches in Nebraska and got the information about um, the game, you know, some plays and the rules and the field size, all of that. And they ended up playing Canopolis. And um, I think it was in November, October, November, something like that. Wyndham didn't win. 
<laughs> even though they were the first team. But they started a tradition that's been going on since then. So the first eight-man football game played in Kansas was mm-hmm. in 1956, mm-hmm. and it was Wyndham versus Kannapolis. Uh-huh. So what's the big dip? What is the main, other than three less people, <laughs> what, uh, what are the big differences between eight-man eight and 11-man? Well, one of the um, most obvious differences is that, well, besides that three-player thing, uh, is the smaller field. You actually play on a smaller field. Um, it's instead of the 100 yards long by um, 53 and a third yards wide, it's 80 by 40. Mm-hmm. So it's a smaller field. Uh, and then also, as far as the the teams go, you basically have two less tackles and and one less wide receiver. Um, we did talk to Joey Biggs, who's the assistant athletic director at Oklahoma State University at the championship game. And uh, Joey is actually, besides being at Oklahoma State, he's actually a graduate of Waverly High School. He played Waverly High School football. And he is also the brother of the assistant, current assistant coach, Jay Biggs. So links to Waverly, and mm-hmm. he, is, uh, he was our resident expert for that day. That's right. On, That's right. On eight-man football. <laughs> he knows a lot about football. <laughs> so, at, we, And we asked him mm-hmm. what the difference was between eight-man and 11-man. And right. uh, this is what he had to say. See, what, what do you think the biggest difference is between 11-man and 8-man for a team like Waverly? Speed, I think. Speed, and speed of the game? Well, just speed of the game and the wide openness. I mean, it's, it's wide open, and, and you can really... I mean, if you got in, in an 8-man, if you beat the initial line, it's, it's over. Uh-huh. In 11-man, there's, there's three more guys out there, so it's, it's a lot harder to get away, and there's more people spread out. Uh, Waverly folks are extremely supportive of their high school football team. You bet. And uh, you experienced parents and community members doing some uh, wacky stuff to promote the team. What kind of stuff did they do? They had flags made for the, each of the guys, and they would move those from the high school during the week to the football field for the game, and they actually took those to the playoff games. Those, mm-hmm. You'd see those flags flying there. Um, but they also did a lot of, they would attend the soap scrimmage. They were at every game. They attended the prep rally. Um and then you'd see things like the cheerleaders were selling cowbells uh, as a fundraiser, and so you'd hear people at the games, they'd be ringing their cowbells. Mm-hmm. And, um, th- one of the things that I thought was really interesting, you don't usually see this at high school games, but they would show up before every game, and they would tailgate. Which is not, I mean, that's not uncommon, the tailgating Mm-mm. to do at collegiate level. Right, but not at high school level yeah. so much. <laughs> Um, well, and and we also noticed that it is uh, it's no small spell celebration when uh, Waverly wins a game. Right. And at the state game, we were talking to some of the parents mm-hmm. um, of the athletes, and and according to Debbie and her nephew uh, Dylan Redding, and their mother and nephew of number forty eight Heath Redding, who's an athlete on the team, mm-hmm. um, she described what uh, Waverly can expect after winning uh, another victory. Um, I'm curious. Because it looks like you guys might walk home with a victory. What's going to happen in Waverly when everybody gets back? Well, I imagine they'll have the fire trucks meet them at the interstate yeah. and escort them into town. A fire truck escort. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there going to be like any parade or any festivities tonight? Probably downtown on Main yeah. Street. <laughs> we'll be celebrating. Yeah, Dylan. What? Uh, what? What are the? What's the football players going to do? Uh, is there is there a party tonight? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer with your mom right there. Well, you know, for Waverly, a win like this isn't just a big deal for the town and the community. It's actually, uh, you know, the whole region kind of tracks it. Mm-hmm. And one of the another person we talked to at the state game was Jeremy Gaston, who was a reporter for the Coffee County Republic, which is the um, largest newspaper in the area. And this is what he had to say about Waverly's possible repeat state title. 
Is this gonna be if they win? Is this gonna be front page news? Well, yeah. I mean, if they lose, is this gonna be front page news? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> is there anything else going on in the area this weekend that might get on the paper? Uh, there's a there's a Christmas craft festival this morning. <laughs> So Waverly, actually, they used to play 11-man football, and they played it until 2002, and that's when they switched to 8-man. Right. Um, Why did they switch? For them, they are a smaller school. I think their enrollment last year was something like 64 in the lower three grades, which is how the the, um, divisions are calculated. It's pretty small. Um, But the thing that they were starting to discover, they did have enough boys interested in playing football. I mean, they had 26 kids on the team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem they were starting to see was that uh, they were the schools in the area, the schools close to them, were all switching to eight-man. And so they were going to have to start driving much further away to find other 11-man schools um, to play. There were some people in the community who really didn't want them to switch to eight-man. Um, there was some concern that it wasn't real football. And and it's also a concern for parents mm-hmm. who want their kids to go on to play collegiate right. ball right. and that recruiters will not be as interested in someone who doesn't didn't grow up playing 11-man. Right, right. That's definitely a fear. So. You referenced the first eight-man football game between mm-hmm. uh, Wyndham and Canopolis. Um, and when you were researching this exhibit, you actually got to speak to some of the athletes that played in that 1956 game. Right. Uh, what were their impressions of this uh, new type of football? <laughs> it was actually really fun to talk to. I got to talk to the quarterback uh, mostly, and he, you know, he was really excited about it. I think when he, they were playing, they'd been playing six man, and they'd seen eleven man, and when they started playing eight man. I think he thought, you know, this is this is kind of interesting. He said they really didn't know what they were doing when they went out there to play because, you know, they'd never even seen a game before. Right. Um, but it was such a big deal. They had lots of people there. Um, they actually, they can they had a fairly decent field, and they constructed a platform uh, next to the field, a raised platform, and there was a guy who came over from McPherson College. Wyndham's not too far from McPherson, and he came over and videotaped the game mm-hmm. since it was sort of an exhibition game, and that was a big deal. I mean, how many high schools, especially playing six Sure, have a local college that. videotaping yeah. your game. And the fact that that McPherson College student came over and videotaped it actually mm-hmm. works out really well for us, didn't right? it? Right, yes, because the video still exists. We were able to get some of the clips um, for the exhibit and, and they're now in our collection yeah. of the game. And it's really fun to watch. You can see all these cars pulled up to the side and it's just it's just really fun fun to see it played uh you know laura i actually cataloged this uniform uh-huh. and um and and i also played high school football and when comparing the uniform to my high school uniform i noticed that there uh, the uniform is not quite complete <laughs> that there are a few more personal protective type <laughs> devices not included uh, how can you explain the lack of these devices because i wasn't about to ask their coach for those <laughs> um, when uh, Coach Hevel um, was giving me the uniform bits, he was it was kind of fun because um, he took me back into the locker room uh, and he's like, "Oh, well, here's you know here's this part of the uniform and here's the football and here are the shoes and everything and here are the pads," and he gave me the complete set. <laughs> but he didn't offer up a chalk strap. <laughs> I really, you know, and, and I didn't good. ask for it either. I no. was not about to do that. No. Okay, well, Laura, well, thanks Mm -hmm. for um, telling us about the Waverly football uniform. You bet.
for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. <laughs> and to uh, tell us the solution to the challenge from last time and give us the challenge for next time, we have uh, Merle Riedel, the assistant curator at the museum. And Hooter. Hello. <laughs> and Rebecca Martin, the assistant director of the museum. Yes, and, that's me. And I'm Nikayla Zimmerman. Um, Merle, so the last challenge was to connect William Allen White to the lunar landing. That's correct. Could you find a solution? I did. And what was the solution? William Allen White had a son named William Lindsay White. William Lindsay White graduated from Harvard in 1924. He graduated in the same class with a man named Henry Cabot Lodge, Jr. Henry Cabot Lodge, Jr. held the Senate seat from Massachusetts until 1953 when he lost it to a young Democrat named John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was a proponent of the U.S. space program and spearheaded um, the effort to land a man on the moon, which resulted in the 1969 Apollo 11 lunar landing. Wow. Thus, we have William Allen White to the lunar landing. That's masterful. That Yeah, you connected William Allen White to the moon in, I believe, less than six degrees. So our next challenge, Rebecca, you want to issue that? Yes, our next challenge is to connect William Allen White to Tom Cruise, and it is not a Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, thank you. The clue is The Thief of Baghdad, and for those of you out there who like silent films, I would look up that title. And if you have a solution for Six Degrees of William Allen White, you can send your solution to me at podcast at kshs.org. That's podcast with an S. That concludes episode 30, Eight is Enough. This uniform and other objects featured on our podcast are currently on exhibit at the Kansas State Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when museum director Bob Kekeisen examines a pair of trunks worn by a six foot five, 235 pound man from Pottawatomie County, Kansas. His name was Jess Willard, and he reigned as the world heavyweight boxing champion from 1915 to 1919. This podcast is a production of the Kansas State Historical Society. Don't